All right, you ready for the word of God? Let's stand together for, for reading God's, God's word. Exodus chapter number three, verse number one. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. That's a very significant encounter and intersect for Moses. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. I have to examine this. From then on, uh, a few passages after that, Moses encounters God and they have a conversation. So, Father, you have truth for us. We live in the end of days. Your son predicted a falling away. We are not going to lose it in these end times. Renew us in power and strength so that we are victorious in Jesus' name. And let the church say, you may be seated. I keep looking at this passage time and again because it's intriguing to me. And here's why. God has something to say to the church. I want to speak to you about this topic of this burning bush experience. Because Moses had been in the desert for 40 years. He was now, no doubt, content, complacent. His dream buried in years of routine. He had rhythm to his life. Every single day there was a routine, things that he had to do and chores he had to accomplish. And that went on for 40 years in this dream that God had given him years and years ago, way far in the distance, buried. He now had a family. He had herds that he had to take out and raise them and take care of them for his father-in-law's business. And after 40 years, he has a spiritual midlife crisis. He encounters a burning bush in the desert. And it was somewhat common for a bush to catch fire in the heat of those kinds of desert plains because there's nothing to protect them. They dry up, and that heat can cause spontaneous combustion from time to time. It's a fact. But this bush burned and was not consumed. Nothing in it died away and fell away and turned to ash. It burned and kept burning without the contents being consumed. It it was an extraordinary sight for him to see. But understand, any old bush will be burned up, subjected to flame, but not this one. See, God doesn't need super talented people and amazing people in this generation we're living in. He just needs ordinary people that yield themselves to the flame of his passion and his fire. And what I want you to see and comprehend and understand, Moses was the only one of his age that Pharaoh hadn't killed. Pharaoh had commanded that every Israeli male to and under be put to death. All of them were murdered except Moses of that certain age of Israelis. In other words, Moses was the only hope for his generation. And God arranged for Moses to have an encounter with a burning bush on fire that kept burning. God wanted whatever was in that bush to get inside of Moses. Because our outer man serves God, but it is our inner man that fellowships with God. And the word says you are to work out your own salvation. Work out from the inside out. Work out your own salvation. You can't work out what's not on the inside. And if you're not fellowshipping with God, no matter what you're doing religiously, is of little value. You can't work for God unless you walk with God. And you won't walk with God unless you are a worshiper of God. 
And Paul wrote, work out, live your insides out. I just don't want you doing religious things. I want you to have such an experience with God. Something ignites on the inside. You're having fellowship with God inwardly, and it works itself out to the exterior, to the outside. Now, the bush was not consumed. It did not burn. And the, the Bible says, out of the bush, God talked to Moses. And Moses talked back to the voice inside that bush. Now, prior to that, it's, he said to himself, this is a very strange and amazing sight. He talked to himself. But don't allow yourself to talk to yourself too much because you'll just discourage yourself. We need to hear the passion of God's cry that's inside that bush that's burning. And what happened in that moment when Moses encountered that burning bush, suddenly he heard the cry of God for his own generation. Moses was contented and relaxed and kind of a normal believer as are many Christians. But when he encountered that bush, the fire that was in that got into him. And watch, Moses heard God's cry in that burning bush. And God's cry was for his, Moses' generation. God said, I have heard their cry. I have seen their tears. I'm observant of their affliction. I have come down. And I want what's in me to get in you. I believe God in these end of times is trying to transfer his passion for people and the fire of his love for his people. It's not enough to just show up for church. He wants us to catch his vision and his fire and, our, and his passion for our generation. And what, what we have to grasp is, he was saying, Moses, you're the only hope for your generation of Israelis. Moses was the only one who was not killed in his culture and the generation that he was living in. And in every generation, God has to preserve and keep some people, a remnant that the spirits of this generation does not kill off. We're living in a day when the culture we're living in is attempting to put out our fire, douse our passion for God. And when we're born again and come out after God, we're fired up and we're living for Jesus and there's some excitement and freshness, but the very culture we're living in, like that of Moses' day, is trying to kill off the passion, kill off the fire of God, douse it, make sure it doesn't spread too far. The spirits of this generation, the spirit of Laodicea, a lukewarm spirit, casualness and complacency about God's presence, it's trying to kill off the fire of God that he ignited in you. We're living in a time when the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life are absolutely causing Christians who were at one time living out a on-fire experience with God to just have that fire and enthusiasm doused. And for many, there's barely even a smoke signal. Very little holy smoke rising out of their experiences with God. That's not what God called our church to be. That's not what God called this pastor to be. I don't believe that is what God called any Christian to be. He wants us to have the same passion and fire that's in his heart. And he wants that fire to be in our hearts for our generation and for our culture. And to have a passion and a fire for people who round us so that they see the Christ in us loving and living and leading in our generation like he wants those things lived out. One person with a burden is better than 99 people who only have an interest. And God's looking for people 
that he can transfer his passion into. Whatever is burning in the heart of God ought to be burning in our hearts because he's my father. And now that he's my father, then his DNA should be burning in my heart. Whatever is burning in the heart of God should be burning in my heart. Because I believe God can change our society. I believe God can change the trajectory of our nation. There are some who don't believe that. I believe he can because he has done it historically in the past in this culture. I believe God can turn the secular into the sacred. And if God had a new thought, could he get it through to us because we're so locked into our own routines? If anything is going to change, someone is going to have to encounter, have an encounter with the burning bush, and that fire has got to get into us. We have to get passion back into our Christian faith. We have to get fire back into our walk with God. We have to be passionate about spiritual things again. We've got to do more than just come to church and enjoy the presence of God. Our hearts must burn with what God's heart is burning with. So I discovered a little information in history. There was a great renewal called the Reformation Revival led by Martin Luther and coming in just a couple of months in October will be the 500th anniversary when Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the All Saints Church and started a Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther was also a songwriter, not just a reformer. And that songwriting started to shake all of Europe as well as the message that he was preaching. And the song that he wrote that really began to take root and grab traction was a song some of us may be familiar with, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He wrote the words to that hymn. But most people don't know where the melody came from. It came out of a tavern. It was an old tavern tune, a bar song. They would sing it till they got drunk. And he grabbed that melody and he made that which was secular, sacred, and it helped spark a revival throughout all of Europe. You've all sung the old hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote the words to that song. You know where he got that music? Out of the pubs of England. And they would drink so much beer they could barely see straight or walk and they would start humming that melody that we now call Amazing Grace. Well, in that day, it was just a secular song. Everybody was familiar with it, but Newton grabbed it and wrote these words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Amen? And he turned the secular into the sacred. Have you ever heard the song, Love of God, Down from His Glory, Ever Living Story? Do you know where that song came from? A man by the name of William Clifton wrote the lyrics to that melody. He took the melody from the Italian song, O Sola Mio. Never heard the song, He Looked Beyond My Faults and Saw My Need. Know where that came from? From that old tune called Danny Boy. It was popular in the Irish pubs. Probably is today too because Connor lost. And when they really wanted to cry in their beer, they would start singing, O Danny Boy. O Danny Boy, O Connor Boy. See, that's what happens when people don't know who they're singing about, right? So these writers became so on fire for God, they said, I will not allow the secular to steal from us what God intended for us. Music came out of the heart of God and given to the human race. And the secular has taken it and run wild with that stuff. Time for us to recapture what belongs to us. Go back and take from the camp of the enemy, cause the secular to become sacred, and use the devil's stuff against him. Some Christians think, well, God can't do anything like that. Not in the culture we're living in. 
What do you think God did when he saved you? Paul wrote it like this. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators or idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals or sodomites, thieves or covetous or drunkards, nor revilers or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. God does that. God makes change in the lives of people. God knows how to turn the secular into the sacred. And the focus of life is to live a life of purpose with passion and with fire. The fire in that bush represents the holiness of God and the passion of God. And and passion is fuel for our vision. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, stir up the gift that's within you. And the word stir in the Greek is zaporo, which means give your experience a good stoke. Give it a good poke. Poke the fire. Stoke the fire. Understand that all you have to do to allow a fire to go out is nothing. When you were born again, a fire ignited. But if you sit in church and you're never connected, you don't become a part of the rest of the body. You don't fellowship. You don't hang with. Listen, you never fulfill your purpose that way. It's like those of you that like the barbecue and like charcoal briquettes to be the source of your fire. If you take a group of them and you put them together and they're all in their little huddle and you ignite them, they all help each other to continue to burn and make that fire and that flame get hotter so that you can bring that, that barbecue device up to speed, so to speak, in the heat that you want for the materials that you're going to cook. But if you separate some of those briquettes, you take one of them out of that pack and you put it over to the side, it won't be very long. That briquette will go out. It's in the huddling together and keeping together that the fire keeps burning for all that are involved. So if you don't encourage that fire, if you don't keep feeding that fire, listen, if you don't add fresh briquettes to that fire and a new log to that fire, it's going to die. And if all you do is come to church and sit in a pew without any passion for spiritual things, you understand why Paul is saying you need to stoke that fire poke that fire, recover the passion for God's purpose, go back to the cross, back to the blood, back to the upper room, reacquire the fire and give that experience you have a good poke. Let's get that fire ignited again. Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, be zealous. Zealous there means boil. We ought to be so red hot for God we begin to boil over the top. Don't burn out, burn on. Fresh fire. And the thing that amazed Moses was not that the bush was burning. Because anybody can get on fire and be excited for spiritual things for a week or two or three. I want to know, are you still burning? Are you still fired up? Have you kept on burning? A continual flame in spite of hurts, in spite of brokenness and setbacks and pain? And everything that comes with the journey we're on, it's checkerboard that we're walking on. I mean, we have adversities and we have advancements, but it's passion that keeps us walking toward the goal. The gospel we preach is a gospel of fire. And the first words anybody ever said about Jesus in the New Testament were the words of John the Baptist when he said about Jesus, he, Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. They had a holy passion for God. In the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit arrived on God's people as flames of fire. We're living in a day 
when the church needs that fire. We need to discern and know the times and end of days we're living in. And what the enemy wants to do is cause us to lose our fire. The greatest sermon in the world is pathetic without the anointing and the fire of God. The greatest music in the world is pathetic without the anointing and the fire of God. The anointing is to the preacher what ink is to a pen. When the pen runs out of ink, the only way you're going to make an impression on that paper is you have to scratch it in and you have to scrape it in. And I know the difference between preaching with anointing and preaching without anointing. Without his touch, all you're doing is scratching and scraping. And people know when he's present and they know when he's not because we cannot make an impression without his fire on us. And the only way we can make an impression of Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit because he reveals the Son, the anointing. So I believe if I don't agonize in prayer, I will agonize in preaching and you will be agonized. Yeah. What sets a church apart, a people apart, it's people touched by the fire of God's presence. Say the word fire. fire. Passion. Passion needs to fill us again. Passion about spiritual matters. And sometimes people say, well, that's kind of an enthusiastic. It's entheos. Yes, it is. It means in us is God. In us is the fire of the Lord. Entheos. That's where we get enthusiasm. 50% of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies only had a C average in in college. Only C, just average average students, 50% of them. 75% of the United States presidents graduated in the lower half of their classes in college. 75%. 50% of the millionaires in America never attended college at all. Well, pastor, what's the point? It's not up to talent. It's not up to education. How do they succeed? Passion. Fire. If it's true in the natural, it's certainly true in the spiritual. There are two things that make the difference in your life. Attitude and passion. Attitude is how you think, and passion is how you feel. Not human feeling. The feelings given to you by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And if you ever get a person who thinks right and then gets emotionally directed by the Holy Spirit, listen, they're unstoppable. Jesus said, it's spirit and truth. Spirit is how you feel or how you position yourself, your attitude. Spirit with truth. Now you've got right information and right attitude. And if we acquire right attitude with right information, nothing can stop it from coming to pass. Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. It's there and it's burning in me. So how do you get the fire? It takes fuel. We have to put fuel on the fire. We have to feed the fire of God. We read his word. We meditate. We get in agreement with what God says and how he does life. We read the right books, not the trash stuff that's being sold today. Read stuff that's edifying, upbuilding, uplifting. Take the word, feed the fire, put another log on the fire. Calvary, it's not enough in the time and culture we live in to just show up for church on a Sunday and ignore God the rest of the week. You've got to fuel that fire. You have to have a burning bush experience. I've read about Nehemiah. We're studying him a little bit in my own personal. And something happened to this guy. He had a burning bush encounter, and fire entered him. And the word says that Nehemiah was just kind of minding his own business, and then God 
took his passion and love for Israel, his people, and he transferred that into the desire Nehemiah had because he knew that the city of his ancestors was in ruins, and he ignited that in Nehemiah's heart. So Nehemiah writes in the second chapter, Then I arose in the night, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. And see the picture. Nehemiah was inexpendable in his day. He was, he was being held captive as a Bab- by the Babylonians. And listen, he's just a cupbearer to the most powerful entity on the planet. Do you know what a cupbearer was? Some people think some big hero is going to come along and there's going to be a great spiritual renewal in our culture. No, the truth is the big move of God is waiting on ordinary people. It's just people with a passion. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. In Bible days, there were those who hated kings badly enough, intensely enough, to poison them. Nehemiah would have to drink the wine before the king would. He would have to eat the food before the king would eat. That's not a nobleman. He's expendable. Because if he dies, they're just going to put somebody in his place. He was totally ordinary. But something happened to him in his faithfulness, in his loyalty, in his commitment to God and his truth, in not bowing to the heathen gods of the culture. A passion ignited in him. And God knew I can trust him with this message. And he said, I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the king gave him favor. And the word says, he was awakened at night and he rose up in the middle of the night with passion and he saw his generation with the walls down. He had never visited there, never been there, but he'd heard the stories. And so all of a sudden now he gets this passion burning and something needs to be done. Someone needs to care. Someone needs to get God's passion for this generation in their heart. And finally the king recognized it. Now watch. King pays his way. King gives him letters and says, don't stop him. Don't interfere with him. He's under my direction Don't you mess with him, and I'm going to give him everything he needs to rebuild those walls. Understand that something in him began to say, build that wall. Build the wall. It was passionate inside of him. And we need to rebuild the walls of biblical values in America. We need to do that. God's not going to do it. We're going to do it. And I've done many things I didn't know how to do or couldn't do, but I had a passion to do them and a fire because that'll take you beyond your own ability. When I was going down the ramp of a C-130 for the first time, and it's pouring down rain, and I'd never gone down the ramp of a C-130 before in, in any kind of weather, let alone pouring rain, with a pack on my back and battle rat, rattle all over me, and I'm weighing a whole lot more than I normally do, and all these young guys and gals are running down that ramp like it's you know having a fun day at the park, and I'm thinking, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. Man, I'm going to slide down the ramp on my bottom because I've never had to carry this much weight down a slippery slope like this in my life. But passion will cause you to exceed what you think you're even capable of. Thank God I didn't make a fool out of myself. This man didn't know a hammer from a saw, let alone a sword. And he goes back and he begins to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Passion took him where he wasn't capable of going. And some career advice, find a passion and follow it. If your passion is building, follow that passion. If you get excited about a sport or about cooking or selling or marketing, you can do amazing things. People who become wealthy, why? Because they've discovered their passion and they follow it. Passion is the key to your assignment. What are you passionate about? 
What really pushes your passion button? What gets you going first thing in the morning? That's a sign of what God designed you to do on earth. Right? So the worst thing you can do is be at a job you don't get excited about. But to be in a career where you get up and say, I can't wait to go get them today. I can't wait to get in and get involved and get my feet in the middle of this. I'm preaching to you, Calvary Christian Center. I pray you're passionate about being the church in our community, letting Jesus be seen in us wherever we are in our community. Passion. Nehemiah had such a passion that when the how questions came, and they did come, all he said was, I don't know. I'm just going to go build those walls. How are you going to do it? How are you going to pay for it? And God was already behind the scenes working the work. Anytime God gives you a passion and ignites a fire, look out. Because the fire will either spread or burn out. And right now your walk with God and your experience with God is either spreading or it's burning out. There is no neutrality with fire. It's either spreading and growing and intensifying or you're burning out. And God says, don't you burn out. Burn on. And the bush kept burning and kept burning. And a person with a passion does not have to be jump-started. They are self-starters. When you have passion for Jesus, no one has to jump-start your praise. No one has to take spiritual defibrillators and put them on your heart and crank up your juice, trying to get you back to life. Are you out there? Are you awake? Nudge your neighbor. When you have passion for the Lord... You put logs on the fire all week long, you're a self-starter in spiritual matters. Remember, people might be able to stop you temporarily. They can't stop you permanently. And if you've got passion, you can overcome anything. Overcome critics, overcome obstacles. Whatever you get passionate about for God, always remember to look out for the firefighters. The spiritual fighter, firefighters will show up the moment you have an encounter with the burning bush and you get some fire and some passion going in your heart. Pastor, what is a spiritual firefighter? A spiritual firefighter is someone who always focuses on what's wrong and never on what is right. A spiritual firefighter is one who focuses on the one mistake you made, doesn't see the thousand good things that you've done. A spiritual firefighter is one who tries to put your fire out. A spiritual firefighter will dampen you and discourage you with a questioning spirit. It's all right to ask questions, of course, but when you have a skeptical spirit and you try to start poking, searching for something so you can discourage somebody, you're a spiritual firefighter. And what you're doing is, if your name is John, you hang out with Sue and she now has your problem, and you go from Sue to James and now he has your problem, then John to Sally, and now she has your problem. Then John to Betty, and now she has your problem. John is the problem. Yeah. Anytime you see someone always having a conflict, they are a spiritual firefighter looking to kill the flame, spreading negativism. What's a firefighter spiritually? They're dream smashers. Enthusiasm deflators, depression speakers, impossibility thinkers, wet blankets. About the time you step out and attempt to do something great, here comes the fire department. They have to hose you down, cool them off. What kept the promise? Listen, the children of Israel out of the promised land, 
It wasn't the giants on the outside waiting for them. It was the 10 negative voices that were screaming on the inside in the people of Israel. And what will keep you from your dream and your purpose and passion for God, it won't be the giant on the outside. It will be if you listen to the wrong voices on the inside. The voices that say it can't be done, the voice that says you better play it safe, the voice that says you're going too far. And if you're going to be a dreamer, God wants you to be, you will take some risks. You can't fulfill the plan and the purpose and the passion of God for your life until you're willing to be a risk taker. Every one of those who ever did anything for God had to step out and when it wasn't easy and nobody else saw it. If you dream... If you Listen, if you really have a dream, it means you expose yourself to two things. You expose yourself to ridicule and the potential for failure. There will be people who will ridicule you and talk about you, roll your eyes, roll their eyes at you when you walk into the coffee shop, who look funny at you and talk about you, but never let someone like that, never let the ankle biters of lessers stop you from fulfilling what God told you, you can do this. We must reacquire some passion. We will, listen, we will give up if we don't renew our passion. We get discouraged if we don't keep stoking the fire. I feel passionately about what I'm preaching to you today. And your life will become what you envision it to become. And if you envision failure and you envision defeat, and you allow the spiritual firefighters to put you in the wrong, in the wrong perspective of who you are and of who God says you are and try to change that vision, you're going to live a life of defeat. Negative thinking and negative speaking keep people from God's best. You see, spiritual firefighters don't like change. That's how you can always recognize them. They become protective and they become territorial and they're critical, and they're grumblers, and they're complainers. There are some people, the only thing that's positive about them, they're positively negative all the time. (laughs) There are spiritual firefighters, but there are fire lighters. God wants you to hang around fire lighters. You need to reevaluate your relationship with some people. If you, you get around some, and all they do is douse you, and try to hold you down whenever you're with them. Your fire's put out because they put ministry down around. Listen to me. That's negative. It kills the fire. It kills the passion of God and wipes out your dreams. With some people, after you've been with them, you just feel like, I need a shower. Do you know what I'm talking about? But there are fire lighters. Hang around them. Connect with them like briquettes in the bottom of that Weber. Get together. Let the fire you have get with the fire they have and watch what you'll be able to do together that you could never do by yourself. There are fire lighters. Hang with them. People will help you keep the fire burning. And when you get around them, they throw more briquettes on the fire. When you get around them, they throw another log in the fire. They encourage you. Listen, you ought to be fire lighters. One of the practical ways you can do that, write a note of encouragement to people who serve around you. Thank them. Write a note of encouragement. Do that with your children. Light a fire of passion in your kids. Tell them there's greatness in them. What you're doing is you're lighting a fire in them, and God will use them, listen, and bless you for fanning the greatness inside of them because you're a fire lighter. I want to be like Elijah on Mount Carmel in a society that said it can't be done. 
In that environment, he took a stand. And he said, I don't care if there's anybody else with me. Let the God who answers by fire be the God. And he started a fire where there was no fire. And God will raise up some fire lighters to start some new fires in our day. I don't care to be around spiritual firefighters much. I want to be around fire lighters. The church that feeds my fire. The church you go to is important. Ask yourself, wherever I'm going, is that church feeding my fire? If it's not, this is one that will. Amen? What I want God to do at Calvary, every time you come in here, I want him to throw another log on your fire. I've come too far to get to this point in my life just to get complacent and be content. I want what's burning in God's heart for this generation to burn in my heart for our church. I believe I'm speaking the heart of God into the church today. We need a fresh encounter with the burning bush that causes us once again to have a burning passion for him like we haven't in our lives. God's calling every one of you to a burning bush experience. Like Nehemiah, the Lord is despairing, disturbing my spirit at night. And he's bugging me in the middle of the night that we need a passion once again for our work, for our community, to become difference makers. And where's the fire? Where's the passion? I will not lose my fire. The reason there are Eskimos in many pews of churches today because there are polar bears in their pulpits. When 90% of evangelical pastors will not touch on subjects of today because they're fearful, some people will be offended. Compare that mentality with the mentality of the preachers who were here at the founding of America. There was not a topic they would not address. There was not a subject they would not preach on. I refuse to become a polar bear. Not going to happen. No matter who comes to our church, I don't care if they're the wealthiest or they have the least, the most impoverished. I want the worst sinner in town to walk into Calvary Christian Center and find acceptance and find the love of God and find the fact that there's a God who will turn their life totally around. May we never lose that fire of passionate people and passionate worship and passionate about spiritual things and passionate about those who need a Savior. Poke that fire one time. Stir that ember. Let that fire be burning in you. And if you do that, God will reignite it. But if you don't do anything, that fire will die. Dad, be a fire lighter in your home for five to ten minutes every day. Call everybody around from their busy schedules and center them around the Word of God and give them what they need for the day to go be fire lighters because you've lit a fire in them. They will light a fire in others. What amazed Moses was not that the bush was burning, but it kept burning. Do you have the same fire you once had when you first received it? You should. See, we're no longer on a date with our fiancé. We're heading to the wedding altar, and it's time for the bride to get some passion for the bridegroom. 
Would you marry somebody who said, well, I kind of like him, you know. I mean, like he's all right. I wouldn't. Bride of Christ, get some passion. Because the marriage is about to take place. Signs of the times are everywhere. This is no time to be lukewarm. This is time to be on fire. And with that, let's stand and let's tell God we love him with all of our hearts. With the best of our ability, lift your hands and thank the Lord for his goodness to you. For all he's done, bless him, saints. Bless him, bless him, bless him.